I want to welcome today's guest, Sarah Mack from Entropy Labs. So many of you know um, the lab. It used to be known as Prism Labs, and now it's Entropy. And she's the Director of Business Development. So Sarah, welcome. Hi, Elias. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. You know, we talk about indoor air quality in almost all of our classes. Everything we do is really solution-based based on indoor air quality. And one of the main components of that has to do with VOCs. And that's where we look to you people for help. Um, I, I know in the past I've done some VOC testing where from other labs and other resources, I've gotten reports back that I keep, keep looking for my uh, chemistry degree and I can't seem to find it. You some know, of them. <laughs> to understand some of these labs where I've actually had to tell people, especially in large commercial facilities, here's your report. Please take it to the people that work for you and you figure out if it belongs here. You know, it's just too complicated. So one of the reasons that we talk about you guys is just the the ease of how your your laboratory produces the material that we're able to read and understand. And the customer understands it too. So we're going to get to all of that. But I want to know right now the name change. Because everybody that calls me still talks about, can I have the number for Prism Labs and stuff? I know you've changed it. What's What's the story? Sure, certainly. So yeah, a few years back in 2017, we actually were acquired by a company called Montrose Environmental Group. Um, underneath the Montrose Environmental Group parent company, they have a, a vertical, which is considered the Enthalpy Lab Network. And so from that, Again, back in 2017, we had that ownership change um, actually just starting in 2022, the beginning of 2022, they made us do that name change. So Enthalpy Analytical is what we're now called. If you call us PRISM, we're not offended. Well, that's a good thing because it just kind of seems what everybody's been doing for years. I know I've been uh, working with you guys for a very long time and name changes are always difficult. So matter of fact, if you didn't know, we changed our name too. Normie was the National Organization of Remediators and Mold Inspectors. We've kept Normie, but the new name is actually the National Organization of Remediators and Microbial Inspectors. Gotcha. Much wider umbrella, which is really why indoor air quality and the VOC component go together so well. So if we're looking at VOCs and avoiding all the other types of sampling that our members do and the public you know, kind of expects, what type of VOCs are really what you guys can handle for us? Sure. So VOCs is a very, very wide range of chemical compounds. And typically what that indicates is that it's actually at a gaseous state at normal operating temperatures. There are some that are considered very volatile. Um, there are some that are considered semi-volatile. And so sometimes those can get confused. Our ranges are typically in the volatile organic compounds. So again, that normal operating temperature of an indoor space, and they're going to be at a gaseous state. Those include a number of different kinds of products, um, it, cleaning supplies, you know, the chemical compounds that are associated with fuel, gasoline, um, heating, cooling, um, refrigerants are on the very volatile end, but there are a number of them we can see as well. Well, I know that uh, when we do our testing, we often look for uh, on the clearance side or the post remediation verification, VOCs that are associated with the chemistries that are used during the process. Um, we, we really try to avoid, you know, a remediation process that causes more problems for the occupants than the actual mold or microbial 
issues that were there. So that's where your stuff comes in. But there's also a component of what you test for for MVOCs, which is different than VOCs, right? In a way, yes, they are slightly different. So VOCs or mold VOCs are considered a volatile organic. The mold portion of it is strictly an indication as to its relationship with mold. Now we have about 21 target VOCs that we use for our mold VOC total. Those chemicals have been found in literature pieces and, and publications in the past. They're ones that we can see with our equipment and they're ones that could be indicative of an odor that might be present. Um, the mold VOCs are slightly different, of course, than the spores and some of the other things you might test for with mold, but they're only emitted as mold is actively growing. And so those are what we look for. Again, those 21 markers. Um, there is some crossover with other products in the home that might have some mold VOC chemicals, because again, they're standard VOCs. It's just which one are those um, active growing molds actually producing. So there is some crossover say with paint. So if there was a lot of recent painting, we might have an elevation and what we would show is an elevated mold VOC, but then we start going through that series of questions. That is the difficulties. We're not looking at the actual particulate itself, but we're assuming based on the chemistry, what we're seeing, what is actually present. Because I've done uh, some assessments myself where I've been in environments that are immaculate, how clean they are. But when you're dealing with the occupants, you can see that they're suffering from something. And I've been surprised a few times where the MVOCs are almost off the scale, three, almost 4,000, which is extremely high on your scale rating uh, for MVOCs, you know, especially when I'm not finding anything, you know, spore wise, you know, the spore traps are coming back clean. There's very little growth, if anything, but the VOC levels are really elevated. Yeah, so our scale for the mold VOC, I think you got it a little bit crisscross there with the TVOCs, but typically starting at eight nanogram per liter is what would be an outdoor average for mold VOCs. Anything up and above that eight is where we would start to look to see any active mold presence in that space. Now that could be super small, like just an excess of overwatered plants, or it could be something a bit bigger where we do have something that's hidden behind the wall. Now, spores are much larger in terms of size, so those don't make it through the wall necessarily as quickly as what those volatile organics would. But then too, again, we have to take that with a grain of salt in looking at the chemistry, because if the compounds are associated primarily with paint, or we do know that there was some recent construction that had happened there, it may be that it is related to something different than a specific mold growth. So they aren't a catch-all, and they're nef definitely not the, the one-stop shop in terms of mold detection, So they're, but they're a complement. So if I said that I was just testing you to see if you were paying attention with reversing those scales, you probably wouldn't believe me. <laughs> Actually, what, what happened was I was looking at some reports from earlier today, and I had one that the regular VOCs, the number was gigantic. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's what's sticking out in my head. And you are absolutely correct. It is a different scale. But again, still elevated mold VOCs when I'm still not picking up particulates or, or any other signs of mold, either because of the cleaning they did or just it's a different problem. Could be. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, the indoor air quality arena or space, as we call it, how do you see the VOCs really fitting in? 
from your side of it, not from ours. We understand our side. Sure. So the way I like to think about the indoor air environment is we know that there are a number of different things that are associated with that. We have the particulates, we have molds, we have the VOC, we have some things as simple as temperature and humidity, but a large majority, um, when you look at the chemical makeup of the indoor air with the particulate in a general type scan, not just specifically for mold, but just particulates in general and what's present in terms of a dust characterization, I would like to, I liken that between the VOCs and the dust, you're looking at 80% of what would be present in an indoor air space that could be of concern causing symptoms. And so it is a major component, certainly for the indoor air environment. There are some things that we can kind of um, test out. I know we've talked a little bit about some of the instant read meters or monitors that can be used, but in terms of VOCs, TVOC is on a lot of those monitors for a reason. You know, it's interesting the way that you bring that up because we get a lot of questions because we have a monitoring program under Norman Pro Monitoring where we monitor in real time and VOCs is part of that. However, that is a screening system. We are screening the environment. You know, we're watching what's happening. We're looking for anomalies. We're not identifying what the problem or the VOC is. That's what you guys do. That is right. There are some limitations, certainly, in some of those instant or real-time read instrumentations that are out there and available. They're certainly helpful for what I call habit identification. So when we see on Wednesday nights, the building always gets cleaned. We see those VOCs go up. That's going to be that habit or that um repeating event, essentially. And that can happen in indoor environments in terms of homes as well. Um, there's a number of research studies out there that um, TVOC monitors are increased in terms of the totals, say when you're cooking, when you get home at the end of the night, when you're taking your shower in the morning. So you start to see some habits and forming um, that gives you some indication of quite possibly correlation on what's happening in the space um, that might be causing that but then two sometimes you don't know and maybe you just have a total overall high voc level that may happen in cases where you have a build brand new build brand new home or a, a significant remodel where you just have a total high voc and you can't pinpoint specifically to any one activity or even series of activities that's where the testing through the laboratory is going to be much more helpful um, knowing that you have a high total VOC and then starting to work through and identify what those sources are within it or what the chemicals are within that are making up that total. That, that's exactly how we um, put this out there in our trainings to our, our membership that a lot of the testing is done is really on the screening side. And once you've screened and identified an anomaly or problem, something that's outside the norm, then there's more detailed investigative work that can be done and you use more sophisticated tools and that really is their understanding in this industry of how we go about approaching it so yeah it, it, i'm glad that you did bring that up and it's important to understand the difference between the screening and testing which is the language that we use we've screened now we need to test oh, very good um Specialty type of reports, I think, is something else that you guys uh, are pretty good with. If somebody needs something very specific, you can help them. Certainly. So our laboratory um, here in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, we specialize in VOC detection. And so because of that, um, we've really 
honed in on a number of different reports and types of reports that we can issue um, in comparison to some of the other laboratories where you were kind of indicating you get chemical by chemical um, difficult reports to read. We've specialized some of ours. So with the total VOC, we do have a summary or survey style report where you get that total VOC and then it breaks it down into types of products that are used um, and then some ind individual compounds. But outside of our standard just VOC check, I'm wondering about it. We've also developed a number of other tests that are helpful um, that test for VOCs applicable to maybe tobacco smoke use. Um, we have some for fire or um, a partial fire, like a, a structure fire smoke damage. So if you had something that started in the kitchen, maybe, and you've got smells that are happening up in the master bedroom, doing this test would help to identify and justify essentially that we have those chemical compounds present that were from that fire event across the house. Um, additionally, we have testing available now for spray polyurethane foam. Um, a lot of the requests we've been receiving over the last couple of years as we all become more energy efficient, closing up those homes is that we're tightening things up and people are actually becoming ill afterwards. Um, so we do have a test that's associated with um, all VOCs that are present that we can test. And then also actually a bulk piece of the foam. And so we make a comparison to say, is the foam still off gassing in comparison to the air? Or is it simply you closed up all those ventilation pathways with that new spray polyurethane foam, and now you just have a lot of your own VOCs for your own VOC soup? Do you do anything as far as some of the new hazards that are out there, like meth labs or um, any of the other chemistries that are being used on the illegal side? That is difficult because, again, it, it is a chemistry process. So methamphetamine across the nation is rampant because they're easily obtainable compounds, chemicals, right, and products to make that. Um, there are a number of VOCs that we can see that are part of a um, ingredient list, you might say, for illicit drug manufacturing. Um, in terms of the actual drug itself when it's finished, specifically methamphetamine, it's too heavy to see in the air. So it would be um, what would be more a semi-volatile or in a particulate essentially. And so because we do the chemicals in the air versus like a surface dust or a, a tape lift and things like that to identify um, illicit drugs, that wouldn't be something we would cover. Yeah, I, I guess fentanyl would come under that because that's another one of the hot topics right now. Yes, yep. And those... Those specifically, there are a number of labs that are out there that are specialized in those for a lot of the cleanup and the remediators that you've got. Uh, how about on the uh, investigative side? We're going a little off topic here, but as far as like fire service for arson investigation, stuff like that, to get more into some of accelerant uh, detection? It's not something that we've actually been approached for. No, we have attended in the past and actually this year, I will also attend the Restoration Industry Association's annual conference. Um, in the past, we actually attended um, a public adjuster conference and they too had a number of um, peoples there that were doing the forensic part of it. We touched base a little bit, but nothing that's ever come to fruition. Okay. Well, the, the other thing I wanted to touch on is you are located up in Michigan, correct? I am. And I, I think you had said that you also have, I guess you call them sister labs, other labs or other types of testing. Mm -hmm. Can you touch on some of the other types that are available to you? 
Sure. So we are kind of an oddball with our lab group. The majority of the labs within the Enthalpy Network are actually soil and water testers. Um, they're going to do large scale remediation, brownfield type stuff, phase one, phase two for new buildings. Um, that's a large part of what they test, but um, soil and water also for, say, PFAS compounds. Those are some hot topics that are coming around in terms of the residences. Um, wildfires, um, I know that a couple of the labs in California have done wildfire studies in terms of the soil remediation that happens as large fires come through and what has to be kind of dug up. Um, we also have testing available with like SUMA canisters or what traditionally would be a TO-15, if that's something that the job requires or specifies, pardon. Um, and then uh, the laboratory down in Houston, Texas does a lot with the oil and gas industry. So they do a lot of actual stack emission type testing. So we're pretty much the only one that does real indoor air within the laboratory network. But there's a lot of other things that are available to us at this point. And that's what I was curious about. Uh, two different things you mentioned, the, uh, the uh, lab down in Texas for oil, mm -hmm. um, re refabbing or rehabbing gas stations, stuff like that. They're always testing soil for that yeah. and, and lead contamination also, mm -hmm. you know, especially on the older gas stations where they were using leaded gas. I mean, there's a lot of different issues that people are being affected by. So I'm just curious about knowing the different extent of what uh, you guys can test for. I, I guess our members should just reach out if they have a question about, hey, can you guys test for this? I like to be a resource. That's one thing um, as PRISM we've always prided ourselves on is being a consultative laboratory. We're not afraid to answer those questions, even if it doesn't mean that a dollar comes into our work. I mean, don't take advantage of that. But at the same time, I'm absolutely always happy to help try to locate the right resource for some of those tests. I've got a, a list of essential referral labs, you know, that I can send people to. So do the right thing because it's the right thing to do is kind of like what you guys do as an anomaly to everybody else. We try. I try really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's appreciated. It really is. Um, just trying to think if there was anything else specific to your lab that you feel that our people should really know about that we haven't talked about. Um, well, I, again, I'm in the middle of Michigan. So just um, a little heads up, last week and again today, we got dumped another five inches or so. Just be mindful. I guess that's one thing that I've told pretty much all of our clients is that um, we are in the north. We are winter. Um, please know and please be patient with any delivery drivers that and prep your clients that some of our fast turnaround times of two or five days sometimes do get extended a little bit when the delivery drivers can't make it to us. Uh, I, I know that a few years ago, because you're talking about the weather, it got so cold in Michigan that you had to switch away from glass tubes to plastic tubes because they were actually getting so brittle they break. The return sample um, encasement, essentially, yeah, we did switch away from our glass ones. We did some case study testing within the laboratory itself between the glass um, transport vials and our plastic transport vials that we found. And yes, our breakage has drastically reduced all right well i have a uh, an oddball question for you now uh we are spreading our wings and we will be dealing with several countries outside the u.s with other testing and processes and trainings and is there any issue with shipping these types of samples from overseas 
to your lab? The benefit of our thermal desorption tubes is that the there is not any required chilled shipping. They're stable for about 30 days after collection. With that, I've got clients all over the world. I've got clients in Australia, UK. I've had um, testing coming from Singapore before. It just depends on where the location is. Most of the time, obviously, the carriers are going to be about a week out. But again, we still have about a 30-day hold time after that sample is collected. So international is not a worry. And actually, for international shipments, we have now also developed or have available our stainless steel tubes. So glass, again, transit is difficult. So because some of those international shipments can take longer um, and it would be detrimental for them to have to sample again, we have our stainless steel tubes so that the tube itself does not become destroyed in transit. Okay, I did not know about that. Um, that's a new one on me. The, the next piece to that would be expiration dates on some of this stuff. Because I know it's happened to me in the past. I've had numerous tubes, you know, I have one or two that'll go beyond the expiration date. What do you do with those? Well, one of the biggest things we want to let people know is that the sorbent material inside, it's very expensive. So typically, if you're working with some of the other labs that are out there and available and you have to purchase a thermal desorption tube similar to what we actually produce, they're going to be upwards of $60 each. The sorbent material inside is the bulk of the cost. And so with that, that sorbent material inside can actually be reused approximately 10 times before it starts to go bad or starts to not regenerate as effectively, I should say. So as the chemicals get onto the little sorbent materials and get cracked or stuck in the little cracks and crevices, we heat that tube up and push those gases back off or those chemicals back off. Again, it can go through about 10 different cycles before we have to switch out that sorbent. But if you have sample tubes that have expired, please send them back. They are reusable. They're green in that way that we want to have them back. We'll double check and make sure that our sorbent is still good. We can clean them again and then resend them to you. Maybe not specifically those ones, but um, any expired tubes that you have, we can send you fresh tubes um, for just the cost of shipping. But it's nothing that our members could do themselves. For cleaning the tubes or refreshing the tubes. I don't want anybody trying that if it's no goodness. No, 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 no. These are, um, I do apologize. That was misleading, wasn't it? In the laboratory, we have a, a very specific room that has a number of what we consider tube bakers. And so they have a high ramp time with a, a constant flow of nitrogen gas through them to push and drive all the chemicals off. And then it goes through a check or a, a quality control process within the laboratory to make sure that that batch is clean. Any new surprises coming? We're working and trying to get some information around PFAS compounds in air. Um, it's a hot topic in the soil and water realm. Could you and just so, go into a little more detail what that is exactly? PFAS, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're not familiar with it. So per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, um, these are the compounds that are associated with um, stain resistance, water repellency, um, Teflon pans. Um, they're also in a number of um, fast food materials packaging, um, you know, that has um, almost plastic-like surface so that it doesn't become drenched or oil stained, essentially. And what they have found is that these chemical compounds are in mass quantities pretty much everywhere. Um, at this point, they are actually in the air and in the rainwater as well. Um, but that they do bioaccumulate. That's the largest part of the risk, essentially, is that 
even little bits of exposures that we get throughout our lives as we drink the water. Again, Michigan was terrible about that. We had the Flint water crisis. Now we have PFAS everywhere um, with a number of locations. Um, but those chemical compounds will build up in your body and can develop um, adverse side effects. They do anticipate that it's carcinogenic. The number of compounds are carcinogenic. And then it's also known at this point that there are a number of birth defects that can happen through those exposures and having excess levels within your body. Well, that's not done as VOC testing. That would be actual collection of soil and then sent to the lab or one of your sister labs? Right. Right now we're doing it in soil and water, um, but it is something that the EPA has developed a method for large stacks or people manufacturing PFAS compounds, um, similar to vapor intrusion. So um, as you get those gas tanks, right, they leak into the ground and we have the water table that leaks up the vapor into the soil that comes into the inside of our houses. Um, similarly, vapor intrusion testing for PFAS is coming down the pike. And so that's kind of what we're developing and working on right now. Yeah, I know a lot of uh, our members, they also do water testing, drinking water, things like that. So I don't know if that would fall into this category of what your labs would be able to test for. Yep, we actually have two labs that specialize. They have a high performance liquid chromatography, HPLC, that performs PFAS compounds, um, one of which is DOD certified. The other one is almost DOD certified, so Department of Defense. And then we are certified in a number of states for water and soil. So yeah, if you've got questions on it or if that's something that you need in your area, I can connect you with the right people. Very good, very appreciative. Well. I appreciate you spending some time here with us. Uh, I know it's cold up there and, you know, it's like, come on spring. We really want to get outside and, you know, deal with some other issues. I know that you guys have had a lot of snow and you did mention before about transportation and uh, shipping is impacted. And we see that all over the country. Uh, we have people today traveling that uh, weren't able to because their flights were canceled. So yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. So if you are watching this, please take that into account. You know, don't uh, overpromise and underdeliver. Don't fall into that category. If that's anything COVID taught us with lack of employees for the carriers too, right? That's something we've all been battling um, regardless of weather across the country. Um, it just so happens that this last week we've had another whirlwind of winter. <laughs> You know, it's funny, uh, we're doing a lot of work right now with um, people under the term uh, essential employees. Mm -hmm. And depending on who you are and where your perspective is coming from, what is an essential employee? Well, in the hospitals, the doctors, the nurses, they're essential employees. But nobody thinks about like the cleaning staff. Mm -hmm. Well, the hospital stops when the cleaning staff stops. So, you know, it's, having to revisit all of these uh, different occupations now and, and the importance is not so much by the skill of what they do, but of what happens when they don't do what they do. All true. So yeah, just something else that affects, again, shipping, transportation, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sarah, it's been a pleasure. Um, we're going to have to do this again, you know, and get into a little bit more detail on a few of the other things, but uh, I appreciate you spending the time here today. I look forward to some more education opportunities. We'll get some topics together. We're going to have to have you in on a few more sessions. I'm sure after this, we'll have a lot of questions and uh, maybe visiting again. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Lance. Have a great day.
You too.